Listen for a word from God in our text today from Revelation chapter 18, beginning with verse 1. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. After all this, I saw another angel come down from heaven with great authority, and the earth grew bright with his splendor. He gave a mighty shout. Babylon has fallen. The great city has fallen. She's become a home for demons. She's a hideout for every foul spirit, a hideout for every foul vulture, every foul dreadful animal. For all the nations have fallen because of the wine of her passionate immorality. The kings of the world had committed adultery with her. Because of her desires for extravagant luxury, the merchants of the world have grown rich. Then I heard another voice calling from heaven, Come away from her, my people. Do not take part in her sins, or you will be punished with her. For her sins are piled as high as heaven, and God remembers her evil deeds. Do to her as she has done to others. Double her penalty for all her evil deeds. She brewed a cup of terror for others, so brew twice as much for her. She glorified herself and lived in luxury, so match it now with torment and sorrow. She boasted in her heart, I am the queen on my throne. I am no helpless widow, and I have no reason to mourn. Therefore, these plagues will overtake her in a single day, death and mourning and famine. She will be completely consumed by fire, for the Lord God who judges her is mighty. The Word of God. Well, that was a happy little passage from the book of Revelation. I'll say a word about that in a moment. But first, as you heard Pastor Emily say, this would have been the weekend our graduates and their family would gather at the church and we would celebrate the graduation class of 2020. If you know a graduate, could you drop a comment and some love for them in the thread section, wherever you're watching today? The same, if you know faculty and staff, it's been a difficult spring quarter on our campus. A drive-through drive celebration tomorrow, and then hopefully in September, a graduation experience as they're invited back on campus. So it is with the graduates of 2020 in mind, I share this story. There's a group of people searching for what no one of European descent has been able to find, and they know that it's out there. 300 years of wisdom says it's out there. There is a water source from the Missouri River that flows all the way out to the Pacific Ocean, and it's a frantic race to see who can get there first. The young Americans have just made a purchase from Napoleon, the Louisiana Purchase, and if they can find and secure this water route, you'll secure the trade route, your economic future. I mean, it's like um, owning the internet or Amazon. The Americans, the French, the British, the Spaniards, they're all after the same thing. The Spanish want it so badly, they've already sent two warring parties ahead of time to try and get there first. So it is that Thomas Jefferson has now hired uh, Meriwether Lewis, Lewis Brinks Clark. There's a Corps of Discovery. They are after this water source. They, they take off on their way with their canoes and their keelboats. Remember, 300 years of expert opinion behind them. Meriwether Lewis has now 15 months of travel behind him, 15 months of mosquitoes and bears and a harsh, cold winter, and he has now arrived. He dips his hand in a cool stream of water, takes a drink. He follows this little creek up a pathway, and when he crests the top, that's where he will find the water source. 
He's now at 7,300 feet above sea level. He's been told there will be mountains, right? When he thinks mountains, he thinks Appalachian Mountains. They know what those mountains look like. You know, those kind of gentle slopes that have trees clumped all the way on top and I mean, scattered with these kind of gentle trees. If you've been through the Appalachians, you know what I'm talking about. The Tennessees, the Carolinas, Kentucky or Virginia. This is what they expect to find when they get to the top. They expect a gentle slope that goes up and the continental divide is there by the way and a gentle slope that goes down and when they come to the top 7300 feet above sea level this is what meriwether lewis sees oh they're mountains he says what the mountains continue as far as our eyes could see the most terrible mountains ever beheld not only are those not the mountains we were prepared for, all the assumptions about the geography and the earth, they're wrong right here. If you assumed it would gently slope up and gently slope down and gently, and you would find a, there's no water route, there's no river passage, there's no northwest passage to navigate. In that particular moment, everything changed. Meriwether Lewis is a river explorer, right? He's expecting to navigate the new world by placing his canoe in the water and gently floating out to the Pacific Ocean. In front of them, there is no map. There's no TED Talk, there's no YouTube tutorial, there's no experts to consult. They are in a terrain now they've never traveled and they are off map. I'm grateful for, to Ted Bolzinger and his book, Canoeing Mountains, for the story from history, for the metaphor, and for that insight, we are off the map. Does that resonate with anyone, class of 2020? We're off the map. Pick your metaphor, we're out in the wild, we're, we're in the wild unknown, we're off-roading. Pick, pick a metaphor that works for you. They already told us we were headed this way, right? The experts said, in less than a generation, the world has changed so much. These are the words used to describe our world, volatile and uncertain and complex and ambiguous. And it's not one or the other. It's all four at the same time. And now it's 2020 and all these realities. We are off the map. We're off the map in the marketplace. We're off the map in businesses. We're off the map in educational systems and healthcare. We're off the map in church. We're off the map in our families and our private lives and trying to organize anything. We're off the map, class of 2020, thinking about our future. It's a bad dream. Is it a bad joke? We are up a mountain carrying a canoe. Travelers, sojourners, pilgrims, explorers, we've been using that language for a few weeks here at the church to describe people who are on their way some, somewhere and full of disorientation. When disorientation is as regular as the rising sun, there, there are some things we can do to stabilize our story. We can say what we do know, trust what we can trust. Um, from the last book of the story of the Bible, what we read today, the book of Revelation says, we can say at least one thing, Babylon is fallen. Babylon is falling and Babylon will fall. We can say what we can say, know what we can know, trust what we trust to be true. Babylon is falling. We've spoken several weeks now about Babylon as this location where many of the wanderers in the Bible spent big chunks of their life. Babylon is the place for displaced people who are longing for home. They're on the way somewhere up a mountain holding a canoe. Babylon is first mentioned in the book of the Bible, Genesis, in the first book of the Bible, Genesis, chapters 10 and 11. 
Babylon is where the human race gathers and they decide to build something. Now, the ancient storytellers want us to know that Babylon is also the space for the gods, the gods from below and the gods from above. They all kind of gather and, and uh, coalesce in this one split sp space, Babel, Babylon. So Babel, it's invincible. And now the humans join the story, the humans with their instincts for boundary breaking, the humans bring their own chaos. So it is, they're going to build a city and build a skyscraper to reach the heavens, only this was always God's story about God's name and about God's character and about God's future. These are the people who refused to scatter early in God's story, and so now God scatters them and gives them languages and cultures, and they move out on the face of the earth. This is the first time we hear of Babylon in the Bible, Babel. I know some of you who are from... Um, Baghdad region, right? These stories, every time we talk about Babylon, it's close to home because we're talking about a space just south of Baghdad. Babylon is named in the Bible more frequently than any other city except Jerusalem. And by the end of the Bible story, the narrator talks about Babylon as the space and the metaphor for everything that's gone wrong, everything that's evil. In this unusual book, Revelation, the storyteller writes in bright colors, in bold images with extra words. He paints across the sky a grand story so no one can be mistaken. By the end of the Bible, the storyteller wants us to know Babylon is falling. She's become a home for demons. She's a hideout for every foul spirit, a hideout for every foul vulture, and every foul and dreadful animal. Babylon, for all the nations, have fallen for her because of the wine of her passionate immorality. How did that happen? Let me summarize from Revelation 18, a paraphrase. The kings of the world who enjoyed Babylon's great luxury will mourn, and the merchants of the world will mourn. No one is left to buy their goods. Gold, silver, jewels, spices, incense, wine, flour, cattle, wagons, bodies, that is, human slaves. Notice that people are listed last in a long line of commodities. The fancy things you loved so much in Babylon, they're gone. The merchants who became wealthy selling her things will stand at a distance and cry. The captains of the ships, the sailors, the passengers, they will stand at a distance and cry. Where is another city so great as Babylon? The great city will be thrown down and never found again. It's a scream from the sky. If we want to know how the story ends, Babylon is falling. Get out. Because God will eventually come and judge the evil on the face of the earth. So come out of her, come away from her, my people. Do not take part in her sins. Get out. Get out means to come away from the ideas of the city and the practices of the city and the priorities of the city. Come away from the policies of the city. Leave the habits of that city. Leave the seduction of that city. Leave the violence of that city. Leave the oppression of that city. Come away. It turns out this last book of the Bible, Revelation, is likely the most powerful piece of resistance literature in all of Scripture. Now, it's easy for us to think maybe this is John, the author, and his particular community who are opposed to Roman power that's oppressing them. But that's too small of a complaint. Their complaint is actually a critique of the entire system of Roman power. It turns out early Christians from first century Asia Minor have something to say to exhausted Christians in the 21st century. 
The good, great news is that God, through Jesus' death and resurrection, God is liberating the human race. God is liberating all of us. In the end, all will be well. God will liberate people from oppression. So while we wait for that final moment, we have choices. I must choose. I'm either with God or I'm with the oppressive power. I'm either around the throne singing, holy, 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 or I'm on the face of the earth warring with the other humans. Things are clear and stark and obvious in the book of Revelation. If you want ambiguous, read Ecclesiastes, our friend Dr. Holoviak Valentine says. We are up a mountain carrying a canoe, and also we can say something. Babylon is falling, the headquarters of hate, the capital of corruption, Babylon that specializes in making people feel small. I am either with Babylon or I am against it. The Christian church today has a fresh opportunity to say something about Babylonian power. The Advent movement has a fresh opportunity to find our voice and our courage. There was a time in our history we were not afraid to open the Bible, the book of Revelation in particular, look around our world and name and notice Babylonian power. It wasn't actually the government and oppressing us with Sunday keeping laws. It was actually the beast rearing its ugly head, 2.5 million enslaved people in America. Early Adventist Christians looked at that and named America as Babylonian power. And then in 1850, the Fugitive Slave Act requires American citizens to enforce slavery. If you see a runaway slave, you must send them back to their master. The Anti-Fugitive Slave Act protest movements began. Advent Christians found themselves in those protest circles. Advent Christians found themselves cultivating those circles, fostering those circles. You cannot defend slavery and be part of the Advent movement. It was that clear. Christians defending slavery on economic grounds or defending slavery because it was too political to get involved, they were asked to leave the fellowship. And in case we think it's simply a few voices here and there, we should be clear, listen to the voice of our founding mother. The law of our land requiring us to deliver a slave to his master, we are not to obey. We took a stand, not because it was revolutionary or reactionary, not because it was some cultural moment we had to be a part of. We simply recognized oppression of people is wrong. It's obviously wrong. When I was in sixth grade, we pulled a prank on a teacher. It was a small prank, a silly prank. He had one of these large, ominous desks in the front of the classroom. While he was out of the room, we jacked up the back part of the desk drawer and took it off of the rollers so that when he sat down and pulled out his drawer, it would fall out and everything would fall all over the floor. Staples and paper clips and pencils and erasers and notepads and all the things. This huge, wide desk drawer. And that's exactly what happened. He came back in, sat at his desk, pulled it out. Everything went all over the front part of the classroom. And the Snickers began. This, however, is what I remember. He looked at the class and said to us, is there anyone in this room who doesn't know this was wrong? You all know this is wrong, correct? It's wrong. There will be 1,000 ways in my daily life I need to name what is wrong. I'll need to come out of Babylon. It will look like 1,000 things. 
Have you picked up the story the last couple of weeks of this 22-year-old graduate from Drake University, Kennedy Mitchum? Kennedy's got the Webster, Merriam-Webster dictionary open and she's taken issue with their definition Listen, Kennedy's grown up and lives near, well, she lives near Ferguson, Missouri. And so you can imagine the conversation she's been in, especially in light of George Floyd's death. And when people argue with her about racism, they open the Merriam-Webster dictionary. This is what it says, the definition of racism. Racism is a belief that race is primarily a determinant of human traits and capacities and that racial differences produce an inherent superiority of a particular race. And when people are arguing with Kennedy about racism in this country, they go to the dictionary and point to that and say, but I don't believe in that. To which she responds, but let me tell you about how I experience racism in America because that isn't the only way it happens. Yeah, but, but I don't think some people are more superior than other. I don't like these people better. That's not. So she writes to the people at Merriam-Webster Dictionary and says, you need to fix your definition because racism happens in systems and in structures, and it interferes in our lives in ways you've not sum yet summarized. And the people at Merriam-Webster wrote back and said, you're right. Not because of some cultural political moment, but because she's right. And they attempt to put defini dictionary definitions that actually reflect real life. There will be 1,000 ways, small ways in my life, I will name hate and come out of it. I will name what's wrong and come out of it. Yes, it involves the products that I purchase and the companies I buy from. It involves how workers are treated and the exploitation of their family. Yes, and it's not always easy to spot. I was lucky to be in a conversation a while ago with some very important and well-known civic leaders. As the meal moved on, their conversation turned kind of, um, well, they began to poke fun and make jokes about some kind, certain kinds of people in our population. And the longer the conversation went on, the dividing lines, I mean, the biases and the digs and the jabs, and it became difficult for me to even be at the meal and know what to say. I, 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 how can I participate in this conversation in a healing, in a hopeful way? The, the more uncomfortable I got, I... I it's uncomfortable to speak up. It's uncomfortable to get up and walk away. It's uncomfortable to hold them to a higher standard. It's uncomfortable to hold myself to a higher standard. And the longer I live with the Jesus story, this is what I'm learning. The church is not here to correct people. The church is here to protect people. I will have 1,000 small ways and moments like this where I will have to speak up. It is wrong to remain silent, Adventist Christians. It's wrong to shrug our shoulders and walk away because we're exhausted. It's wrong to push this off on the next generation. We have said that Adventism is not for a moment. It's a movement. We've said this for generations. There might be something more, something worse that, that could happen to Adventist Christians than National Sunday laws. There might be something worse in 2020 when black men are hanging from trees for whatever reason. There might be something worse than National Sunday laws. It would be silent Sabbath keepers. Take a stand. I have to take a stand. This is hard, church. We will lose relationships. We will lose family members. We will alienate business partners. We will change our lives that will be restructured i am either hopeful and working towards justice or i am the problem there's nothing in between these words came from nathan brown writing from australia this week 
You're either hopeful and working towards justice or you're the problem. There's nothing in between. You can't be a neutral, Nathan Brown says. Oh, if that's a little heavy this morning, go back to last week's homily, the Sermon on Lamentations. Maybe some of us still need to simply cry and lament a little bit longer. Do that for a couple more weeks, but come back and join this conversation. Sometimes we do need to cry, and then we will have to take a stand. We cannot be neutral. We're up a mountain carrying a canoe, and it's 2020. But perhaps we can see a way forward. We're being called by the Spirit to come out, come out of oppression. We're on the way to something somehow, somewhere. Eventually, we will be home. We're contributing now in small ways to that future. May that for which we wait be that for which we work. Our professor Charles Teal always told us. How will we know we've arrived? The Revelator ends the story this way. Revelation chapter 21. Look, I heard a loud shout from the front throne saying, Look, God's home is now among God's people. God will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. God will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, Look, I'm making everything new. And then he said to me, write these down for what I'm telling you is trustworthy and true. And he also said, it is finished. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of life. Amen. Amen. to the quiet Lord give hope to those in pain let us be a burning fire that can warm in Jesus name Lord give Blessings to the quiet Lord give shelter from the cold Let us be a safer space So we can heal in Jesus' name oh, That can heal in Jesus' May the peace of God guard your hearts and minds. May all the saints greet you kind. May God's purposes be revealed in time. May we all be one. Lord, give blessings to the quiet. Lord, give strength that never fades. 
Let us stand up for each other So we can live in Jesus' name So we can live in Jesus' name May the peace of God guard your hearts and minds May all the saints greet you kind May God's purposes be revealed in time May we all be one in Christ He will rise up for the hopeless He will restore All of the scattered He will lift up Those who've been cast aside So we must rise up He will rise up Right. 